0: Welcome to another episode of Fresh Off The Set. I am Sarah Jenkins. And I am Brooke Mangum. Thank you so much for joining us today. Now, I'm going to say a word that is very polarizing. (laughs) And you're either going to love it, cringe, hate it, but the word influencer. What comes to your mind, Sarah, when I say that? Oh my
1: goodness. It's everywhere. Influencers have just become part of our stratosphere, part of our world the past, like, what, 10 years? It's relatively recent, but I feel like you're right. You hit the nail on the head. It's just People have a lot of feelings it's about influencers, cringy. right? You it's think it's cringy? cringy? Like, how do you feel?
0: It's cringy. <laughs> Even like, because like I, I I started on Instagram at its beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So like before the algorithms were designed to make you not have followers. So I, I have like followers from way back in the day. So It was the Wild West back then, it, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, it, it's so different, but it is, it's like something where people, that's somebody's job, right, mm-hmm. is an influencer, and it always gives me a little bit of a cringe, but here in Utah, we have a ton of influencers. We do. I
1: have now lived here a couple of years. I'm not from here originally, but I, I've noticed, you know, there's a lot of beautiful people here, a lot of creatives, um, but you, you you just see influencers everywhere and it makes you like how do you define that you know like, I don't I think like anybody actually
0: knows <laughs> at least I that's what I thought until I saw this interview where a PhD is actually going to be breaking down interviews her name is Mariah Wellman yes, and she studied this <laughs> and break And what she has a very interesting perspective about how influencers are actually can be a great thing to empower women like mm-hmm. stay-at-home moms that are looking for an outlet. They're looking for a job. They're looking for a way to connect with the outside world. Because you know, as being a mom, you can you can feel like you're just I'm at, I'm trapped alone with these yes, kids. Yes,
1: the days, the hours can stretch on, and yeah, the adult panic conversations. <laughs> what I'm, I'm
0: anything but baby shark. So that's what really we're we're diving into this with this this interview. They're gonna be breaking down what is an influencer and how that can be empowering, and also just like the repercussions of social media and everything like that. So buckle up, sit back, and listen <laughs> while we all get educated. Here we go. What do you say? Let's do it. Let's do it.
1: Okay. I know I say I'm excited about every podcast interview, and I seriously mean this today because this topic is so fascinating to me we are going to chat with Mariah Wellman. Um, She's a technology influence and wellness researcher. She's an assistant professor of communication at the University of Illinois at Chicago, and she has done some fascinating work when it comes to influencers. Mariah, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, thank you so much. I am so excited to be here.
1: Oh, right. I am so excited to talk about this because... In Utah, we're pretty much the land of influencers, as some say. (laughs) Absolutely. Before we get to that, talk to us about your educational career. You taught at the University of Utah while getting your PhD, and where you're teaching now. Give us a little bit of your background.
2: Yeah, so I started out going to school in journalism and mass communication, and I was in the Midwest. I grew up in Iowa, so I went to Iowa State for my undergrad. Um, went to Iowa for my master's degree, and then was lucky enough to get an offer from the University of Utah, and I had actually never been there before, Um, and so I kind of came in with this outsider perspective, and the the people at the University of Utah and just in Salt Lake City in general were so, so kind and wonderful to me, and I I really wanted to explore kind of what was going on toward the west side of the United States, Mm -hmm. and so I, I went to the University of Utah, and then I was able to teach classes there and, and you know pursue my research interests, and I felt really uh, lucky and blessed to, to be there in the presence of so many incredible researchers, uh, and then I graduated this past May, so it would have been May of 2022, uh, with my PhD in the Department of Communication there, and then was offered this incredible job in wellness and tech at UIC, the University of Illinois at Chicago, and so we moved to Chicago, and here we are, and, and now I teach kind of wellness, technology, uh, digital influence. I teach all kinds of classes here and and continue to do this research. And it's been a really wonderful experience. And, um, I feel really lucky to have had the training that I've had and and now being able to take what I've learned in the state of Utah and, and produce research over here in Chicago.
1: We love that you loved Utah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I really did. I didn't know. I mean, I, I, you know, I didn't really know anything yeah. about Utah before before I came, and I had an incredible experience there, and I actually am coming back in April to visit, and I told people I might cry when I <laughs> land, because I loved, <laughs> I loved
1: it so much. It was great. We <laughs> love to hear that, and like we said at the very beginning, we have many influencers here, and you actually studied influencers and social media. Why did you decide to study that? I mean, it's a very interesting topic, yeah. but why did you decide
2: you know, I think I was, I, let's see, I was, I think, in the prime age of consumerism and consumption of influencer content when it first started. So um think maybe like 2010s, 2012, uh, when Instagram first started and Instagram models and, and influencers started coming about, I was... Uh, Just finishing high school and starting my undergrad. And so I was kind of the prime audience for a lot of these creators. Mm -hmm. And I think I, along with a lot of people in like 2014, 2015, 2016, wanted to try and, and do that also. And so I actually tried to be an influencer and I realized I knew nothing about the industry like a lot of people, I think I just started throwing things up on my Instagram, hoping that people would like it. With heavily
1: filtered images. I remember that the most when Instagram (laughs) came out, that was the big thing. Everyone was like, how would you get your picture to look like that?
2: (laughs) Oh yeah. And so that was kind of where I started. And I, you know, I graduated with my undergraduate degree in journalism. I went out and worked as a journalist for a while and Um, I was talking to some people and they're like, you know, if you really like influencer culture, there are people out there who are starting to study these people. And I was like, well, maybe if I, you know, am not really falling in love with being a content creator, maybe Mm -hmm. I could start to study and track the industry. So I left my job and in 2016, I started my master's degree and uh, met some really incredible people, was introduced to. Um, some early influencer scholars. At that point, there were only a handful of people here in the United States who were studying influencer culture from a way that I wanted to, which was not necessarily surveys and, and general generalized information, but sort of these narratives of how do creators get started? How do they decide what to do? and And I started just interviewing and observing Uh influencers, um, from all across the country. And so then when I got this offer at Utah, I was like, you know what? I don't know much about Utah, (laughs) but on the visit, on my visit, everyone was like, there are so many influencers here. And I was like, what? (laughs) There are a lot of influencers here. Like, what do you mean? And so I started doing research and it turns out so many of like the OG influencers who were started, who started really early, were from Utah and a lot of them still lived there. And I was like, okay, this is cool. I can come here and study this. I can meet a bunch of people. Um and so I decided I was going to go in this direction. And it still is new. But at this point now I've been studying for seven years and there's so many more researchers too. And it's a great little community that we have. Um and so yeah, that kind of the long story of how I got into this, (laughs) but It's cool. I think a lot of people still don't realize like you can get a PhD studying in no culture. It's like the most fun degree ever.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. And so you said, you know, there we both talked Utah is like a breeding ground for influencers. Yeah. Based on your research, why do you think that is? Do you think religion has something to do with it? Why do you think there are so many in, you know, the beautiful state of yeah. Utah?
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, For some reason, I'm seeing this correlation between specifically the LDS church and influencer culture. And I don't always necessarily want to call it the LDS church, but I would say LDS culture that starts in the church and then bleeds out Mm -hmm. outward, right? And so it's these ideas about womanhood. And I have talked, you know, to quite a few people that talk about how, you know, in in LDS culture, when you are younger, people are, are talking to you about what it means to be um, a woman and a mother and a wife and all the things that you must do to, to stay home and, and care for your family and um, be a sort of homemaker in a way that really glorifies their beliefs. Uh-huh. Um, and so we were seeing a lot of women who were able to to do that sort of thing and also to be able to make money from home. Right. So not only did they really take an interest in braiding hair, for example, I had this really great anecdote from a creator that talked about how growing up, her mom always taught her to take pride in her hair. And she learned really early on how to do all these really cool braids. Uh-huh. And so she started being a braiding influencer. I, re-
1: I so- remember I, 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 I don't know if we're thinking of the same influencer, but I remember one of the influencers that started. She was like the girl with the braids. I remember it yes. very well.
2: Yes, yes. And so I think they were able to kind of capitalize on some of these pieces of LDS culture that sort of moved outward away from the church and bled really into Utah culture, right? Because I think a lot of people um, who are not LDS are very, very successful at blogging because they're able to take on these aspects of LDS culture and and lifestyles and apply it to their to their aesthetic, right? So we're yeah. seeing these beautiful women who are, putting their children and their families first while keeping this beautiful aesthetic home, right? They, they look great. They take care of themselves. We see a ton of influencers who are LDS there in fashion and lifestyle and beauty and even health and fitness, right? Like the entire um, Rachel Parcell and her entire family, for example, right? They're some of the OG influencers um, and a lot of the siblings, right? Rachel's really into fashion. Her sister is really into um, fitness and now right. she started that IVL clothing line, as well as a boutique fitness space, right? And I think that there's, you know, this this really interesting connection between the ideals that LDS women are taught, how it bleeds into Utah culture, and then how they're able to kind of apply that to the online space. I think we started really early with bloggers, and as soon as women could realize that they could do the things they normally do, take photos, keep memories of their family, right, through this digital means, and then also make money and, and provide, you know, a financial future that is strong and stable for their family. I think it just made perfect sense. For I, a lot it, of them.
1: This research is so, so fascinating to me. So you talked about some of, you know, like you said, the original influencers, a lot of them came yeah. from here, and they're still doing really well. How do you mm-hmm. think like someone who's maybe just starting now, they're seeing this, they're like, oh, I want to be an influencer. I feel like everyone in some point is like, yeah, that's me. Um, yeah. How do social media influencers best build and then maintain credibility? Because some of these people mm. have been around for, we're coming on like a decade. How do you yes, build and do that?
2: Yeah. So I think a big part of why some of the OG influencers were really successful and continue to be successful is because they were able to capitalize on this industry when it was not saturated. Right. right? And what we're seeing, what we're seeing now is there's so many more people who want to follow, you know, in the OG footsteps, if you will. And so I think a lot of these people who are new to the influencer space, they have to find other ways to differentiate themselves. And we're seeing from an audience perspective, a lot of followers, want influencers who know what they're talking about and, you know, can not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. Right. And so Mm -hmm. we're seeing, we're seeing, you know, these people who are really interested in not only authenticity, but like you said, credibility as well. And my research looks a lot at these um, initial concepts that come uh, from mass communication research. I've applied them to the influencer industry. And so what we see is, is they want expertise, right? And that can be through certifications and degrees, but it can also be through their anecdotal knowledge. So those influencers who have grown up in these spaces where, um, you know, taking care of yourself was really championed and being a great mother was, was really championed and they're able to utilize their anecdotal knowledge uh, about that, right. Their generational knowledge to apply that to their content and then trust. And so the way that influencers are able to show trust along with Attractiveness, which I like to call it likability or similarity, mm-hmm. right? So we've got a lot, of, a lot of these successful influencers, women especially, are gaining followers because followers can see themselves in that particular influencer. And
1: oh, okay, interesting. All right.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so those three primary concepts, you know, at a certain point, you have to learn how to balance those. And there are certain influencers, for example, those in health and fitness, who might need a little bit more expertise and a little bit less you know, similarity or a little bit more trust and less expertise, right? There's not a perfect formula, but having a piece of each of those can really help to build your credibility. And then it's about maintaining that over a long time period, right? It's about being as consistent as you possibly can be. I was going to say,
1: you said Um, that word. I feel like anytime I talk to someone, like um, I was at an event where Rachel Parcell spoke and one of the things Mm -hmm. she said was she was like, consistency, and you hear that all the time. But that really seems to be one of the keys to build and maintain that credibility.
2: It's huge. And it's hard over time because, right, a lot of these people, a lot of these creators start really young. And it's normal to grow up and to change and to become interested in other things. And it's a lot of pressure, I think, for people to maintain that over time because the audience came to you for one thing. And maybe you have been, you know, around since the beginning of Rachel Parcell. And now it's 10 years down the line. She has kids and a husband and she's changing the way that she's doing things, you know, And, and some people are happy about that and other people are not. And so it can be kind of difficult for them to stay in the spotlight and and be consistent, especially just as their lives outside of social media change.
1: Right. Okay. So we've, we've, we've already started talking about change, which leads me into my next question. I mean, you and I talked at the the beginning of Instagram when it was just pictures, Hmm. TikTok came in um, the last few years, things have been changing. How have you seen influencers and uh, you know, content change over the last few years? And what do you think the future is going to look like?
2: Yeah, yeah. So those are really great questions. And I think it's really important to talk about them because we see influencer culture as this new thing and we knew it as one way. And as things get are changing, right, influencers and audiences want to know, like, where's it going to go from here? And are we still going to be able to create and consume the content that we want to see? And so what I've seen, the biggest, you know, piece of evidence is, Influencers are so incredibly adaptable. Mm-hmm. They can change they can change their content to whatever platforms and, and whatever kind of our technology sector is, is moving them toward. And so you started with blogging, right? Which was this really long form content. People sat down and read similarly to how they would, you know, magazines and books. And then we saw Instagram where it became quicker to scroll. And now mm-hmm. TikTok, where you you don't even have to find people, they just show up on your full <laughs> page and you just scroll right? Like, it's yes. amazing. We had to type in a URL and now all of a sudden I open my phone and I can just have uh, yeah. content basically hitting me in the face. <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean,
1: I, I I was one of those people. I still love a good blog. I'm like, oh my goodness, me I can sit here and read this. Um, but, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. I'm I'm part of the older blogging generation, I guess you could say. But you're exactly right. TikTok, yes. you open it up and it's like, we, fa- <laughs> we found this video for you. Would
2: you like to see? Right. <laughs> Right. And so I think we're seeing this more algorithmic driven content, which is, you know, another topic for another day. I think the algorithm is such an interesting topic when you talk about influencer culture. But I think also we're seeing this increase in short form content. So can you get your information out in a short, concise way that you're still able to connect to your people? Mm -hmm. I also think the the biggest change in the last, I would say, three years has been influencers being more willing um, to share about their personal and political beliefs. Mm -hmm. as they know it will alienate followers, but it seems like followers are asking for Mm -hmm. influencers to be more open about what they believe so that, that the followers can, you know, see themselves even more closely aligned with the follower or with the influencers rather that they are really interested in, which I think before politics, you know, and religion and stuff was kind of a topic that wasn't talked about as frequently. Mm -hmm. And I think now it's really, it's really you know, starting to come to the forefront and be one of the major indicators of who has what followers, for example. Right. Right? Um, And that really matters. And I think the future of influence uh, and influencing really, um, I think influencers will continue to find ways to increase their credibility and continue to find ways to diversify their content so that it doesn't look like everybody else's. And I think also influencers are really looking for financial stability. They know that platforms are not the best option. We're seeing a lot of um, legislation being pushed uh, toward platforms like TikTok and trying to get them removed right from, you know, the state to, to the country to even just universities looking to, you know, shut down our access to TikTok. I think that creators are realizing that, you know, the algorithm is sometimes not allowing their content to be seen by the maximum amount of people. And so they're trying to figure out what businesses can, can we open, I think. Utah specifically, we've got some incredible influencers in the state of Utah who are working this, you know, entrepreneurial angle and utilizing the followers that they've built up over time to create long lasting businesses that they have control over, which I think is really smart. And I think we'll see that in the future. Yeah,
1: I I, I mean, I can think of a couple of influencers right now off the top of my head that have brands that are so well known, like Amber Filler up Mm -hmm. with her her hair brand, you know, she was the one I was thinking yeah. about when you said braids. Um, Carol yep. has her fitness, Rachel Parcell. <laughs> I mean, they all have mm-hmm. these um, these businesses that they own. And that's so interesting that you find that, that that's going to be a trend in the future. So speaking yes. of the future, I have heard some people say, and you know, I would, I'm so excited to hear your take on this. Some people <laughs> say that it's an influencer bubble and it's going to pop and they're not going to exist. Mm. Do you do you foresee a future where influencers cease to exist, where it is not a form of marketing, it is not a job, the bubbles popped, there's no room, do you think that's going to happen?
2: Um, no, I do not. And sometimes that opinion can make people upset, and yeah. I will gladly debate people on it. But I Go for so. it, girl. <laughs> think, you know, here's the thing, you know, I think that, and I, I get that, same kind of comment when people are like, nobody cares about influencers. I get, I get it from my own industry. I get, you know, faculty and other researchers who are like, why does this matter? Why are you studying this? And my comment is, there will always be influencers because there are always people who are influenceable. The reason influencers exist mm. is because people want information. And also, I might add, influencers have existed in various forms for hundreds of years. Oh, when I, I absolutely agree
1: with you. I mean, think about... Yeah, we, Audrey Hepburn influenced right. how many people?
2: I have her eyebrows. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. And I even, I mean, I even told people, I, I joke and laugh at my influence or my undergrads are always like, oh my gosh. But I talk about how some of the very first influencers were actually in ancient Greece. Oh. They just moved in a different yes. medium right? Like digital influencers, sure, they may not exist in the same format in the future, but there will always be people, there will always be opinion leaders that we as a society look toward to figure out how we're supposed to live our lives, what products we want to buy, what habits, what ideologies, what beliefs that we're into. I think they just take different forms. So maybe this space of traditional sponsored content may not exist. However, I think there will be always people who are utilizing technology in very interesting ways that will continue to, you know, perpetuate influencer culture. And as it shifts and changes over time, I don't see it going anywhere anytime soon, because I think there are still people who consume the content. And as long as there are influenceable people, there will be influencers.
1: I I honestly love that answer because I know so many people like they dream of that, you know, that financial freedom being on their own, doing what they Mm -hmm. want. And honestly, a lot of the stuff I follow is influencers because I either see myself in them or like you said, Mm -hmm. they're, they're really knowledgeable. And I go to that, like I crave that kind of content.
2: Yes. I think that will continue for, for a long time to come. And like I said, I think that it may change and we'll see as, as influencers start to adapt what content will look like and, and what social media will look like, but I think that they will be around for a long time to come.
1: All right, so let's talk about, so we've talked about the influencer influencers a lot. Um, I could talk to you hmm. for seriously hours. <laughs> you also studied the rhetoric of wellness on social social media, which I think is yeah. fascinating. What does that exactly mean? What have you discovered in your research? Tell me all the things.
2: Yeah. So there have been some really wonderful um, people that I have started to look at. And and by people, I mean, scholars and researchers who are strictly kind of in this wellness space. And what I was realizing is everybody is talking about wellness, right? Everybody is, is, you know, trying to, you know, increase their wellness or restore their wellness or enhance it. And I think that's a product of the society that we're living in now, Mm -hmm. post-2020, post-COVID, you know. I think people are really concerned with their overall well-being and wellness is having a moment you could say. Yes. Right? And so I think I was trying to figure out why is that? And I studied, you know, influencers who were in health and fitness and wellness and I realized I think we're underestimating how influencer culture and creators in general are impacting the wellness industry. And so I started looking at how do these popular online users explain what it means to be well and then how does that kind of seep outward and right. kind of infiltrate the minds of people who are even not on social media. So when someone says, you know, this is the green juice that you need to detox your body. And then all of a sudden everybody is utilizing this green juice, right? Yes. Did that, did that come from, right? Did that come from an an expert source? Was that just a random, you know, piece of information who came, that came from someone who is not credible at all? And does that even matter, Mm -hmm. right? When everybody just starts doing it anyway. And I think we're seeing these trends starting on social media that have to do with wellness that just kind of seep into everything. And then you get mass media who's covering this space. And so I started looking at and seeing if I could argue that social media influencers are changing the wellness industry. And I think that I can. That's kind of my next really big project, which is how are wellness influencers changing the way that we as a society think about what it means to be healthy, to be well, to be fit? And who is that helping and who is that harming?
1: Yeah, I think that's fabulous, because I love following wellness accounts, but sometimes I feel like it is out of control, because I have someone telling me, like you said, to drink this green juice, and someone telling me this advice, and then someone goes against them, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, wait, are they professionals? Am I listening to this? It's just such an interesting space.
2: Yes, and there's no regulation, right? So Mm -hmm. we have, in in our society, traditional health experts, like physicians, um, and things like that, and, and mental health experts, right, they have rules and regulations as to what they can and can't say online and how they can treat patients. But when it comes to health and wellness influencers, there are no regulations. The only regulation that we have here in the United States came from 2015 that says, if you work with a brand, you have to disclose the partnership. But they don't have to disclose their expertise. They don't have to say, hey, I'm not a doctor. I think anecdotally, some people are, but some people aren't. And I don't know that all followers understand where the information is coming from and whether or not they should apply it to their own lives.
1: I am going to be so fascinated when you finish this research. (laughs) Okay, Maria, we are almost out of time. I think my last question for you would be, so this is a common question I get asked all the time. I do a lot of content and people always come up to me and they're like, well, how do you be a successful influencer? How do you be a successful content creator? And you've been doing this for years. So what would you say to yeah. someone or a student who came up and asked you that?
2: Yeah, I think the biggest thing is to be yourself. And I think that's really a cliche comment, right? That piece of advice is, you know, it's easy to say, but it's harder to implement. Uh-huh. And I kind of I kind of change it up and, and tell people, you know, people want to see how other people see the world, right? Right. We live in, we live in one body with one mind and one perspective. And one of the biggest things about human nature in general is we want to know other people and we're curious to see what they think about certain things and how they feel and compare it to what we're thinking. And so if you want to be a creator in whatever genre that you want to create, if you can show your audience, how you see the world, I think that you're more likely to grow an audience that resonates with you, that can, you know, grow with you long-term. And also it'll be easier for you to create content because it's content that you like, that you experience, that you wouldn't ever get bored with, right? You can always share what's what's going on in, in your life, especially if it truly is who you are deep down.
1: I love uh, the way you said this, how you see the world. I have, mm-hmm. I mean, I've talked to different people about content, but I've never heard it put that way and I think yeah. that's a new piece of advice that someone can really like if they want to get in this you know this wild wor- world <laughs> of influencers <laughs> and content creators that is um, a great way to go about it all right um Mariah we are out of time today but before we wrap up we do this thing in our podcast called the fresh five where mm-hmm. I just ask you five random questions so our viewers can get to know you you know a little more on a personal level Great. Um, And I always keep them hidden. So it's just, you know, whatever comes to your head first. Don't worry, they're not hard. (laughs) (laughs) They're just five fun things. So the very first one is where is your favorite place you've ever visited?
2: Oh, geez. Um, Hawaii.
1: Okay, that is a good place. I feel like that. Right here in Utah, we are in spring, but you've Mm -hmm. lived here. Spring isn't really spring till maybe like June. So a warm place would be great right now. Right. Yeah. What is your very favorite item of clothing? Like if it is not in your closet, you are just so unhappy.
2: Oh, I have this beautiful um, like faux leather jacket that has Sherpa inside and it's really cold here in Chicago. And so I get to wear it like a lot, um, pretty much all the way until June. And it's just the coziest thing, but it makes me feel cool. I love it. I love it. Makes
1: you feel cool. Whenever I put on a yeah. leather jacket, I instantly feel like, you know, a member in Greece, the movie. And I'm oh, like, yeah. man, I am the coolest <laughs> human ever. And if you know me really well, you know that cool is not a word people usually use to describe me. Um, the right. <laughs> next question. So if you could live in a book, a movie or a TV show, which like which one would you live in and why?
2: Oh, geez, that's such a hard question. You said they were easy. Okay, <laughs> um, This is hard. Well, because my favorite movies are like 80s movies. Like I love the 80s, like 16 Candles and Pretty in Pink, like the Rat Pack. I don't know if you've seen any of those. Oh, yes, um, absolutely. Molly, Molly Ringwald. Mm-hmm. Like I would, I would love to like go and be in detention with the kids in Breakfast Club. In, uh, breakfast club. <laughs> yeah, I would love it. Like, You're like- I would love that. Okay, perfect. See, you answered it right away because some
1: people, I asked that question, I asked someone that question, and they were like, well, I don't watch movies and TV shows, so I had to put in book just in case because I can think of my three.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Don't me. I watch
1: too much TV. I'm with you. It's relaxing to me. It soothes me. All right, if you are at breakfast and someone says to you waffles or pancakes, which, which one do you choose?
2: Oh, waffles.
1: Oh, see, that one was easy. I gave you an easy one (laughs) after a hard one. All right. Your fifth and final one. What makes you laugh? Oh,
2: geez. Um, my rescue dogs make me laugh. I have a four-year-old Collie Retriever mix and a one-and-a-half-year-old Golden Retriever with a neurological condition, and mm-hmm. she's a wobbly retriever, uh-huh. and she is the funniest, dorkiest, cutest thing in the world, and she just has so much love, and I laugh every time I look at her face. <laughs> oh, I
1: love it. I We have um, a rescue Golden Retriever, too, and he yeah. is just the goofiest. He's just... Yeah. He's just precious. And the way he works yes. with our St. Bernard, it is, it is—it oh. love it. I'm with you. I understand. The
2: best.
1: <laughs> the best. Well, Mariah, it has been such a joy talking to you today. It's been really insightful. So much fun. Um, and for those of you listening, thank you so much. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe. And we will catch you next time.